Hello there. Welcome to the IBI Friends Podcast. My name is Catherine Soaring. I'm your host and I'm so excited. I just finished speaking with Ryan Cavazan. I can't believe I can, I can say that, but I can. And he is a young man. I just told him that I could be his mom. Literally, I could. And we talked about his, his, his journey and how he got started and how every time he hit a wall and he did several times, he was able to overcome it and learn from the experience instead of calling it something else. So If you are interested in hearing some numbers and hearing, um, this is the first, per, first person that gave me seven points on what they would do differently if they would start again. So those are so fire. You don't want to miss them. I promise you don't. So make sure that you subscribe and listen and watch the interview on Spotify or YouTube. Now, let's go to the episode. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the REI Friends Podcast. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So excited to talk to you today. For those that don't know you, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Ryan Cavison. I am 24 years old, born and raised in Niagara Falls, Ontario. Um, so I got started in real estate about uh, 2019. Uh, I bought my first duplex um, and then kind of uh, got into more active real estate. Um, so wholesaling, um, I got into some mentorships as well. That was kind of tailored towards wholesaling. Um, so yeah, I started working with uh, some people in my area, started wholesaling and doing that. And then um, we, we ended up giving up a bunch of deals that uh, the investors on the other end made, made some good returns. So we were like, all right, why don't we start um, flipping? So that was kind of beginning of last year, uh, started flipping. So we've done about 10, 12 flips since then. And then now we're kind of transitioning our, our business model, just the way the market is. Um, towards more multifamily properties. Nice. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm glad that you share your age. So you are 24 years old. You started in 2019. What made you think real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So I, after high school, I, I was kind of lost. I uh, didn't really know what, what avenue I wanted to go down. Uh, my whole life, I wanted to be a, an NHL player. And then I uh, got to a stage where I was like, all right, I'm I'm 16 years old. I'm 150 pounds and five foot nine. So <laughs> um, <laughs> NHL uh, probably won't be in my future, but uh, yeah. yeah. So I had to get a little bit real with myself and then um, went to college for general business. Um, Going to be honest, I kind of wasted my time doing that, mm -hmm. um, but I don't regret it because I did meet uh, my buddy there who introduced me to the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and that was kind of my gateway drug into real estate. Um, so yeah, after reading that, I just, got into any type of podcasts, book, um, seminar, anything I can get my hands on to learn about real estate. Um, that's kind of what uh, led me, led me into real estate. Yeah, that's so good. And I'm glad that you found it that early because I think like you, had I found it right when I was about to go to college or finishing up, I definitely would have gone that route instead of going to corporate America right up out of college. Uh, but coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? So you read the book, you get excited. What is your first step? Now that you're getting your hand on anything that you can, is that when you started with the internships? What was the first step? Yeah, so when I first started, um, I ended up uh, having a conversation with my sister. And I was like, uh, we got to buy property. I'm reading this book and I'm getting really, really excited. Got her to read it. Um, and then just saved every dollar I could possibly save. Um, ended up purchasing our, our first property together. So we partnered on that and then ran out of money. <laughs> so uh, we were like, well, I, I kind of, um, she wasn't really as active into the whole real estate. Like she, she kind of wanted to buy one or one or two kind of, but, uh, but I was kind of more, all right, let's scale this type thing. So that's when I um, spent some money on, um, got into uh, a mentorship that kind of everybody was focused on active real estate. Um, so yeah, just started learning about wholesaling, um, kind of learn every aspect of wholesaling and uh, started, started doing it, started making mistakes. Um, and that was ultimately what, what got me uh, to where I am is, is literally just taking action and making as many mistakes as possible and learning from them. That is so good. because I love when you said, you know you want to buy a house and then you're like, okay, let me hit my sister up. So you, you didn't let not having all the money be an obstacle. You found someone else that even though you said she was not as excited or interested in real estate that you're like, okay, she's got money. 
<laughs> Let's put our money right. together and buy the first property. But then like you said, I love what most people say, they run out of money. So what do you think for you run out of money? Do you think you were going to stop there? What was the, what's the thought process at that point? Um, I, I actually learning from the books. Um, I learned about leverage and using other people's money, uh, stuff like that. So I always knew that was kind of going to be what, what my strategy was. Um, but at the time when I was first starting, I didn't really trust myself using other people's money to buy my, mm-hmm. my own deals. So that's yeah. kind of what led me more towards the wholesale route. Um, just because it, it's really, it doesn't, you don't have to put up any money. All you, all you have to put up is a deposit, which you end up getting back anyway. So I usually do a thousand dollar deposit. So it's, it's not really an upfront cost, uh, or too, too heavy of an upper upfront cost. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of what, what led me towards the wholesale route. Nice. So at this, at this point, are you still living at home or do you actually get a job ever? Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I was, uh, I was working as a server. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's really all I was doing, but saving every single dollar. So yeah, I was, I was living at home. Um, I, I kind of made it my goal to save like 75 to 80% of my income. Um, that's kind of the advantage I took, took, uh, out of my, my young twenties was, was not spending as much money, you know, living, um, you know, renting a place or owning a place, stuff like that. Um, I just, took advantage of saving up, uh, staying at home and, and just being super frugal with my money. Yeah, that is so smart. So were you, what was the mindset about being so young and not thinking real estate and wait, or I'm going to use other people's money, like you keeping your money, how were you able to do that when you probably, your friends were not doing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not too sure. I think learning Excel in high school, uh, or sorry, in college was was definitely one of those things that kind of opened my mind. So I was doing a lot of research on personal finance, uh, and kind of learning how to save your money, how to budget your money, stuff like that. And then applying that to, to what I've learned in college with my Excel. So learning how to use spreadsheets and stuff like that. So I started kind of a budget and, and tracking my income and expenses and, you know, literally documenting every cent that I spend every single month and kind of, you know, piecing out, okay, I shouldn't have spent here. I can cut back on this. I can cut back on this. So um, that's kind of what, what um, got me into the more personal finance stuff. Um, and then I applied that to my real estate side where I'm super frugal. And then I, I invest kind of every, everything that I can save type thing. Yeah, that is so good. And I hope people that are watching or listening are, are getting this, that, yeah, you're going to use other people's money and you probably are going to be able to do um, uh, seller financing or subject to or anything that you, or any strategy. But if you can have your own money uh, for any deals that you, that you might not have, you might not be able to wait or just to feel kind of secure. It's nice to know that you have some money in reserve. So that's, I think that's a great Great idea. And the fact that you were able to use the degree to learn Excel, which is, is, is a skill that not everybody knows how to use, unfortunately, it's pretty, it's not really hard to learn, but once you get it, you get it. And then you can use it pretty much in every aspect of your life. Absolutely. Yep, so good. So, okay. So you start doing wholesaling. Um, how do you make the transition from wholesaling to flipping? Like what pushed you to do that? Yeah, so when I was wholesaling, um, pretty much for those of you do, who don't know, is you're you're finding an under market value property. Um, so typically, how I'm finding these deals is you can do it actively, so that requires no money or no cost involved. So you can door knock, literally going door to door and just asking people if they're looking to sell. You can do Kijiji and Facebook, so people are posting their their properties for sale or for rent. You can even ask the for rent section and say, hey, have you ever considered selling this property? Um, all the kind of active ways without spending any money. As I said, I'm super frugal, so I didn't want to spend any any money um, when I was first starting. And then uh, after doing a couple deals, I um, pretty much, sorry, let me go back to the, the wholesale. Yeah. So you're pretty much finding an under market value property. So let's say um, you're the seller and uh, Jim is the investor. So I'm agreeing, let's just say your house is worth 500,000. I'm going to offer you 400,000 for your property. And then I'm going to find Jim and I'm going to say, Hey, Jim, I have this property. It's worth 500. I'll sell it to you for 420,000. So Jim's incentivized because he's getting a property for 80,000, 
um, under market value, I'm getting a $20,000 wholesale fee and you as a seller are, are either selling because you wanted to sell or two, you're selling because you got out of a, a situation that you, you know, let's say you're going to lose your house or, or something like that. So that's, that's wholesaling. Um, to go back to your original question, um, wholesaling, um, I, yeah, started doing that and then, um, yeah, got to a stage where we were assigning a bunch of deals where the investor on the other end, uh, made, um, ridiculous money. So, uh, one deal we did in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, we agreed at 225,000. And like I said, this was when I was first starting. So I wasn't really confident with the numbers, didn't really know what I was doing. Um, so yeah, we agreed at 225,000 with the sellers and then we found an investor to assign it to for uh, 290,000. So it was a 65K assignment fee, which is really good. But on the other side, the investor bought it from us for 290, didn't touch a thing, didn't do any renovations to it and sold it as is for 552. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when you're first starting, you're like, wow, that's a stinger because if I could have raised the money to close on this, I could have made close to 300,000, if not more, right? So, um, but I don't regret kind of going through that is because I learned so much from, from, you know, from that deal. Main thing was know your numbers, be confident in your numbers. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how, how I transitioned into more flipping. So after doing a bunch of deals where the investor made really good money, I was like, all right, I think it's my turn now to, to buy these types of deals. So, um, got connected with some mortgage brokers, um, started learning creative financing, different financing options because I was wholesaling, but I didn't have two years of self-employed income. So no banks would look at me um, for the A and B lenders. Whereas if um, you, know, you, can, you can use private financing, which is higher interest, but your interest only payments, they usually don't care about your income. Um, all they care about is their equity in the deal. So those are different ways that you can find, or sorry, you can purchase properties without actually qualifying like a traditional mortgage. Um, so yeah, after speaking to my mortgage broker, he's more investor focused. So he deals with these types of situations, more self-employed people. You have to get creative with different financing strategies. Um, and then, yeah, once we, once we learn how to do it, we kind of systematize the process and try to make it as easy as possible. Um, and then, yeah, started, uh, started acquiring. And now what we do is we raise the money for the down payment, uh, and the renovations and then do the transaction. Once the deal is sold, we pay off our investors and then we keep the profit. I love how simple you make it sound like, okay, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> this is what you do. Well, let's go back a little bit to that deal that you made for you. $65,000, probably more money that you've seen together. Right. And then you're feeling pretty great about it. And then you find out how much the other person made. And I love that those deals, you never forget. Like those are the ones that teach you the most. So Absolutely. you're like, okay, this whole selling thing is great, but I'm going to have to get it on, on the other side and start doing the flipping. Um, did you, how do you, how do you get into it? Did you have a mentor? I know you mentioned that you had like a program or a mastermind that you joined, but how do you make the transition from wholesaling to, uh, to flipping? Yeah, so um, going back to the uh, mentorship that I was in, um, I ended up connecting with somebody that was in the mentorship um, who was doing it. So I suggest this to every single person who's in this that doesn't know the business, that's super new. Um, I kind of had a, a foundation of like, I know about real estate, but I don't know like the tactical, like when I'm actually in a property, what am I looking for? What am I doing type thing? Um, so getting into that mentorship connected me with somebody in my area who was doing it full time and I knew he was killing it. So I was like, Hey, I'm willing to work for free. I just want to learn the business. I don't care about being paid. I just want to learn the ropes and, uh, and I'm willing to work for free. So it's a win-win for both sides. You're getting experience and learning. And then the other person is getting somebody working for free when they normally would, they would have to pay somebody 25, 30 bucks an hour type thing. Um, so I connected with him. We, uh, we did a bunch of deals together and he saw that I was hungry and, and trying to learn the business and whatever. So we figured out a way where I can uh, work with him um, and get paid. So we ended up um, doing like a, a split on deals. So any deals that I find, I get X split on the deal. Um, so that's really how I, 
how I first got started is just like being hungry, trying to learn every single aspect of the business. Um, and then, yeah, going from there. Yeah, that's so good because you kind of, I don't know if you realize that, but you did the same thing you did at the beginning with buying the duplex with your sister. You are in the mentorship and then you found a partner. Now you're not doing it by yourself. You're finding somebody else has done it before. Um, and that kind of limits or lowers the your risk because now it, you have somebody else doing it with you. One, it's less scary because somebody else is with you, right? And two, they have experience, hopefully, and they'll probably have resources that you will have to um, grow or um, develop over years, but automatically because you are with so-and-so, you automatically you have that. So that, I love the fact that you're leveraging the power of other people as you are jumping from strategy to strategy. Um, do you think that because you started with buying your own duplex and then going to wholesaling and then going to flipping and then going to multifamily, do you think that doing all those steps led you to where you are today? Like, would you have known about that you want to do multifamily without doing the other thing? I would definitely say um, if I were to kind of start over again, I would definitely say do the same path that I was, I was starting with. Um, not so much buying the duplex, although that was a definitely a really good learning experience. Um, I would definitely say start wholesaling and hone down on just one strategy. Like too many people, they hear about, you know, flipping, uh, they hear about land development they hear about a wholesaling, burring, whatever. Um, and it, it's so easy to be like, Oh my God, I'm going to do this. Oh my God, I'm going to do that. Oh, oh. And in you kind of are scatterbrained. So the the um, the term for that is shiny object syndrome. If you see the next shiny object, okay, I'm going to chase after that, chase after that. Um, so if I were to kind of start back again, I would definitely say focus on wholesaling, focus on finding good deals. That's really the art of real estate in general because it translates into into the next kind of strategy. So let's say you you're now going to focus on flipping. What do you have to do when you're flipping? Find a good deal to actually flip. Same with when you're you know, finding multifamilies, you have to find a good deal to actually buy a multifamily property. So finding good deals is pretty much every strategy, but you focusing on that and, and learning it and getting good at kind of everything, um, you're never gonna be an expert, you're never gonna know everything, but I would say take action in just that and, and you'll be good. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. Thank you so much because that's your experience. And I love the fact that you're, you're not just saying that because you read it somewhere, you actually lived it, you're doing it. And that, that just makes it more uh, more exciting. So then you were doing the flipping and you said you, you have done like 10 to 12 flips as of last year. It's a lot of flips. Yeah, from the beginning of last year up until uh, now. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big number. <laughs> just so you know, those listening, you know, flip some, for some people, they can do one flip a year and they're lucky they finish it. So how were you able to do so many in one year? Honestly, it just started with the first one. Um, we, we ended up um, finding it just from, uh, I think it was from our flyers we send out. And uh, yeah, the, the seller called us just like a regular wholesale deal. And uh, this was kind of after we talked to the mortgage brokers and figured out financing and we're like, you know what? The numbers look good. Let's 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 buy this. So we ended up purchasing it for 440. Um, actually, the day before closing, we were speaking with a realtor and saying, "Hey, like, you know, we we ran our numbers when we first locked it up. Let's run our numbers now. See where we're at." And believe it or not, he actually told us, "You'll be lucky to sell it once it's fixed up for about 500." And we're like, "Uh oh!" After the closing costs, renovations, like we're going to lose money on this. So we were like super scared taking, taking, um, taking the, the possession of the property. And then um, we ended up deciding because um, we were working with a few different agents. We let them know that like, you know, we're not exclusive to anybody. Anybody who finds us the deal will be the one who's going to get paid type thing. Um, and we were like, you know what, we're going to do this as a business. Let's treat it as a business. So let's interview different realtors and see who's going to put their best case, best case forward type, type thing. Um, so we ended up uh, doing the renovations. It was, it was a light renovation. It was about 30,000, um, 30,000 of renos. And I think all in we we're around uh, five, 
around 500,000 with closing costs. Uh, we had to pay a lender fee, broker fee, um, and land transfer tax in Ontario. Um, so yeah, we're all in around 500 to 515. I can't really remember the numbers, but um, we ended up interviewing realtors. We had about 10 different realtors and uh, sure enough, the, the one who kind of put their best case forward uh, was the guy that we use now. And uh, he had a whole marketing package. He told us, you know, this is my average days on market. This is the, you know, the real estate market in Niagara, what their average days on market is. This is how I'm going to find you a buyer. I'm going to use social media. I'm going to use this X, Y, Z. Um, so we're like, you know what, this sounds, this sounds like our guy type thing. And we ended up uh, getting it sold for 705, uh, which we were just like, mind blown like definitely um it helped that the market was like super hot but at the same time if we would have used the realtor that we were originally talking to and you know he was thinking that we we're going to lose money if we were to would have got our first offer which was around 550 he would have said jump on this take it whatever and we would only make you know 50 grand right um so definitely uh, another piece of advice would be um, qualify your realtor as well don't just go based on kind of who you know. A lot of people get into real estate and they're like, oh, my my dad's uncle's brother is a realtor or my best buddies, whatever is a realtor. Like, no, focus on like who, who they are, what they do in real estate and uh, qualify them. Like ask them some specific questions, like what's going to get my property sold for, for X amount. Um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, my, my thinking on it. That is such a, such a good story you're, you're talking and I was taking notes because again, you seem to have this, this pattern of um, you hit a wall and I love the fact that you're not like, oops, well, that's the other road. Uh, I'm just going to pack my things and go, right? Like this guy says, close-minded, maybe didn't want to do the work, whatever, didn't see the, the vision. I told you guys that if you broke even, you'll be lucky after, and people that have done flips before, it's a lot of work. So much goes into it and it can take a while. And if we're with a partner, um, that makes it even harder, right? So I love the fact that you had that idea of let's interview realtors and let's find a way to get it done. That is such a great idea um, because right now um, you, we all have choices and it's not just, you, you don't have to go with the first person you meet. I love that you said also, uh, this is a business. Let's do it like a business. Let's interview people. That was so, so good. And I hope that people listening or watching uh, are taking notes because this is, this is a real goal. So you're doing the flipping that you guys made, sold it for 705 million uh, thousand. Um, when did you make uh, the switch to multifamily? I know you said that the market kind of pushed you guys that way. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we, we actually got into multifamily a little bit before, uh, or I'd say during our flip uh, process. So after learning kind of the financing and stuff like that, we're like, all right, we can, we can have a flip side of our business, but also a buy and hold. So if, if deals come our way where the numbers make sense for a buy and hold, then we'll look to take it down. So um, we have uh, a fiveplex that uh, is actually currently under renovations. Um, so we got it at a good price. Pretty much we're going to use the BRRRR strategy. So for those of you who don't know what that means, it's pretty much an acronym that stands for buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. Um, so we're in the middle of that. Um, we're doing some renovations to it. Once that's done, we're going to rent it out, um, then get it appraised. And hopefully once it gets appraised, we're going to be able to pull out all the capital we invested into it and essentially doing so we would own the asset with really no money into it um, even if we do let's say it's 50 grand type thing um, the return on investment is going to be so much higher um, because you have such you know so much less capital into the deal so that's kind of what got us into into multifamily we're still we're still in the market for multifamily we're always looking at properties um, connecting with more partners stuff like that um, and then actually I wanted to share another, uh, another little story about, um, about wholesaling and one of the, so that was kind of like the up. So the, the, the flip that we made like really good money on, I'll kind of share, a, a, a very big learning experience, but so something I don't regret, but a very like, you know, heartbreaking type deal, um, that we had. So it's funny that, so we ended up getting a lead from a resort. So for those of you who know where the Niagara region is, 
Um, it's made up of like, I think six or seven different cities. Um, and it's in Southern, Southern Ontario. So we send our flyers through Canada Post. So it's a postal service that they, we pay to send out flyers that say we buy houses type thing. We ended up getting a phone call uh, from, a, from a resort that was four and a half hours away. So we have no idea how our flyer got there. We, um, that we just got a call. So apparently somebody must have gotten, uh, went up on vacation to this resort, left it on the table. The maintenance guy picked it up and gave it to the owner. And the owner ended up calling us and was like, wow, hey, hey, do you buy resorts? And we're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're like, all right, let's, let's see what we can do. So after doing a bunch of wholesale deals, we're like, all right, this is a bigger scale, but we are using the same strategy where we're not really changing much. Maybe the paperwork's a little different, but we can figure it out. And that's, that goes back to the mindset. It's just like, always don't limit yourself just to, you know, okay, I'm at this scale. I'm just going to stay here. Like, you know, try to grow as much as you can. So um, anyway, so we ended up going up there for two nights just to kind of get an understanding of the property type thing. And uh, we actually overheard the seller um, on the phone with somebody and he's like, God, oh, there's these two young kids. They think they're buying this thing, like blah, 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 kind of like down, downplaying our abilities. And uh, so we're like, damn, we got to, we got to prove ourselves. So we ended up, um, we ended up kind of negotiating with him. Like, all right, what price are you looking to walk away with? Um, so he wanted, uh, so the, the deal was 16 cottages, a banquet hall and his primary residence, which was a seven bedroom uh, property. Um, so we agreed at 4.5 million and we were super transparent with him. We let him know that, you know, we are going to be finding an investor to buy this from us. Is that okay with you? And he's like, Hey, as long as I get my 4.5, I don't care. And we're like, all right, awesome. So we agreed, we put it under contract. The paperwork was a little bit confusing because there was three different agreements, whereas we're used to just one. Um, but we kind of just with our lawyer figured it all out. Um, so we ended up finding a buyer. So actually, let me go back a bit. We ended up trying to figure out what we should sell this for while not scaring off people, like charging too much of an assignment fee, but also, um, you know, making it worth our time. So we talked to a bunch of people. So how do we value this? So a residential property is based on what's selling in the area. So comparables. Whereas this is more of a business. So it's like the, the revenue it's generating. It's also real estate. So we're like, how do we value this? So we talked to a bunch of people, people from different banks, mortgage brokers, et cetera. And we're like, how do you value this? So we figured it out and they're like, you actually have a good deal on your hands. We're like, all right, beautiful. So we ended up finding a buyer for $4.8 million, which means our assignment fee that we would walk away with was 300,000. And we're like super right. excited. We're like, <laughs> oh my God, like this is life-changing. So we're, we're super, uh, super stoked about it. And now all we have to do is wait to the closing date and we get paid and we're like super excited. So this was in December and the closing date was in April. So we're like, all right, let's go. Like, let's, let's get this sold or let's get this closed. Sure enough, the day of closing, they can't get financing. So they have to back out. Oh, so, no. so it was definitely devastating at the time. It was definitely heartbreaking. You have thoughts in your head, like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like, is this worth it? Like all this time and energy I put into this driving up there, driving back, whatever. Um, but the, the main takeaway from it is never get emotional about a deal. So the difference between a buyer and an investor is the investor just focuses on the numbers and doesn't and takes the emotion out of it. So do do the numbers make sense on this deal? If so, okay, let's pursue it. And in this case, it was like it's not over until it's over. Like let's wait till this is closed and then we can celebrate, then we can get happy. We got excited. We were like telling people, we we're posting it all social media. We're like, "Woo, look at us." And it didn't close. So that was our biggest kind of learning experience is like never get emotional about a deal and never celebrate until it's actually over. Um, so that's, that was, uh, that was one of the stories I kind of wanted to share. Yeah. Um, definitely a big learning experience. I'm so glad that you share that because there's so many pieces there. 
Uh, and I love you said that it was a learning experience. You're going to call it something else, right? But you choose to be optimistic about it. And in life, you either learn um, or you learn, you know, that, that's it. You, there's no losing. You, you're going to learn. Um, it's going to cost you one, one thing or another. But that is so, so good. So there was no other buyer ever. You only had that one buyer, so you couldn't, you couldn't sell it. So we did. We actually had about... Um... So we put it out on Facebook groups and sent it to our investor list. And there was about 40 different people who are interested, but there's a big difference between interested and actually ready to go. Um, there, there's a term called tire kickers that I, we, we use in, in wholesaling. It's like, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, add me to your, your list. Um, and whenever a deal comes, I'll take a look. And I'd say 90% of them are never going to buy from you. Um, so that's why another thing you have to do is qualify your buyers and see, okay, what, what capabilities do they actually have to close on these deals? So there's a lot of people that are say, oh, I'm looking for burrs. Okay. What's your price point? Oh, as long as the numbers make sense. Okay. How are you going to finance it? I don't know. So it, it really shows kind of the buyer. Um, but yeah, going back, um, sorry, your original question. Um, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're no so into it, but I forget. I think what I like about it is the fact that I was saying that you learn and um, you were talking about uh, the tire kickers and being very clear. I, I love that you're not afraid now to ask questions because sometimes you might get so excited when you somebody, like you say, you add them to your list and they're like, I'm interested. And the difference between interested and actually ready to, to pursue. And I know that many realtors don't take people out to look at houses if they're not pre-qualified. And I think for wholesaling or anything else uh, that's real estate investing related, you can have a similar process where you're going to vet them and you're going right. to make sure that they prove to you that they're not tire kickers. So I think that's the right. biggest takeaway from that, at least that I took, is that uh, don't celebrate too early. That was huge. And number two, um, qualify people. Qualify people to say, I mean, if it was going to close in December and they have four months, they had a long time to close. So they had a lot of time to close. So maybe uh, throughout the process, checking in with them, making sure, okay, where are things going? Um, maybe are they pre-qualified to do it or are they going to raise the money? Like all those little things that you can do um, while the deal is still not a deal. Because you said that it's not, it's not a deal until it closes. So you can get excited about it, but um, you, you want to have that, that signature so you know that, it, that it's happening, which is so... So, so, so important. So where are you guys today? And let's say you have a fiveplex. Um, so you, your business is now split into multifamily and flipping? Yeah, so right now we have uh, 11, 11 residential units um, and then three flips that are either almost reno done renovations or um, uh, just starting renovations. So uh, the 11 units are kind of a mixture of like duplex, uh, fiveplex. Uh, we have a couple of single families. Um, so those are kind of our units of like buy and holds, which we're definitely more focused on scaling that. And then the flips, same thing. Uh, we're, we're almost done renovations on two of them um, and then just starting renovations on one of them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And then our, our main focus now is like I said, the, the multifamily space. So anywhere between five units and up, um, the reason being is, as I said before, the residential property, the, the properties are valued based on the comparables of what's selling in the area. Whereas a, um, fiveplex or five units and up is focused on the income it actually generates. So um, not to get too into detail and confuse people, but to value a property is you take, or to value a multifamily property that's five units and up, you take the net operating income. So what that is, is your income minus your expenses before your mortgage, that gets you your not, net operating income. And then you divide that by whatever cap rates banks are appraising properties in that area. So let's say, um, let me pull out my calculator here. Let's say you have a net operating income of uh, $50,000 $50, a year. You're gonna divide that by let's say 5%. That gets you a million dollars in um, value for the property. So you can have a five unit building 
that's valued at a million dollars, or you can have a 10 unit building valued at a million dollars, all based on the net operating income. Um, so that's another way that you can increase the value of the property is by figuring out ways that you can charge more or increase income. So you can do that with storage containers. You can, um, you can do that with uh, charging for laundry, uh, parking, um, any, any type of ways that you can just add a little bit of income. Because the crazy part is a lot of people don't realize if you do the math, let's say you increase the net operating income on a property for, let's say, $200 a month. Somehow, whether you charge for parking, whatever, $200 a month times 12, that's $2,400 a year. That increases the value if you do a 5% cap rate of $48,000 of added value to the building just from $200 a month. So it, that's why I, that's why multifamily and, and those, those five units and up, that's why we're focused on that is because you can increase the value super differently as opposed to, you know, a regular residential, regular residential, you can only focus on what's selling in the area um, and type of finishes that you put in into the property. Wow. That is so good. So I was playing to get the sun out of my face. And I'd be so no, <laughs> I was so taking notes because I love that. Um, uh, that explanation is so good of thinking of how can I make my property, my property more profitable? How can I make it make more money for me? And I love the fact that just adding that $200 a month, you can increase your property by $48,000. That's huge. And you can find that if you, if you are creative and look at places like you mentioned a couple of things storage laundry parking there's so many things you can charge for that people don't it, I'm, I'm i'm impressed and sometimes upset by the people that and i can tell who's a landlord and who's an investor because landlords just rent you the apartment investors will look at how can i um maximize how much money i get per per unit um and that makes a big a big difference i was going to ask you earlier and i forgot what does your team look like today? Because you seem to have a lot of things going and I am going to guess you're not doing all of this by yourself. No, I definitely have a, definitely have a team. Um, so I have, it's me and my business partner, Jordan. Um, so it's a small team. Uh, we have, um, we have a bunch of contractors kind of working on our projects. Um, it's really a, a tight kind of group. So we have um, me and my partner, Jordan, we're kind of the owners of the company. Um, we have our mortgage broker. So our, our power team, I would say, would be our mortgage broker, our realtor, our contractor, um, and then just kind of little day-to-day tasks. We have, uh, we either hire like a virtual assistant um, from, you know, a different country or we hire, you know, friends and family type thing, just depends on what we what we need to do. Um, but that's pretty much just like my my type of team. Um, and then now I'm, I'm, uh, sorry. And then the other side is the investor side. So we have a bunch of investors that we kind of either put their money towards our flip projects or partner with them on a uh, multifamily property. Um, so that's kind of the, the business in a nutshell. Yeah, that, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that breakdown, because I think sometimes people get all hung up on like, I'm going to have to hire all these people. And I am all, uh, you said it, getting a VA in another country. I have a really good one um, and, um, hopefully changing her life. Right. And she's helping me out too. So, uh, there's so many different ways and different sites that people can leverage, um, to be able to make a difference and be able to keep more profit the, the less money you spend, the more profit you keep. Right. So that is so important. And I love that you have a key, um, your core team, the people that you, that you can go to on a regular basis. So, um, and that you also systematize. I love when you said that. So, it's a process to the, to the way you guys do things. Absolutely. And the other thing I'll add is like a lot of people think that like, oh my God, I have to have a power team set up before I get started. And that's definitely not the case. Like, like I said before, like I started just working with somebody learning the ropes. Um, and the other thing you can do is borrow credibility is, is what I pretty much did is just because you haven't done a deal or you haven't done xyz doesn't mean you can't have those conversations with people so when i didn't have a wholesale deal i borrowed the credibility of the person that i was working with and says you know hey i'm doing xyz because a lot of people at the start are like 
well, who's going to work with me if I haven't done anything? I'm not really providing them any value, uh, whatever. Whereas if you can borrow that credibility and say, yeah, my team has done X, Y, Z, even though you haven't done it, why, why do they need to know that? It's a good way to kind of get, get that inner confidence to like kind of start building relationships. Cause if somebody comes to you, or if, if you're trying to build a relationship with a realtor and they're like, okay, so, you know, what type of properties are you looking for? I don't know. You know, what have you done? Nothing then they're going to be like, okay, I'm just wasting my time with this person. Whereas if you borrow credibility and say, you know, we've done X, Y, Z, this is kind of what we're looking for. This is how we can work together. Um, I incentivize. So like a way that I've incentivized my realtor is because if I'm wholesaling, they don't get paid on the sale because it's everything's done off market. Whereas a way that I've incentivized my realtor is, is say, I've, I'm always generating leads. I'm constantly on the hunt for deals. So I pretty much have it like a funnel. So I get as many leads as possible. And then the more qualified leads that those are the deals that I can wholesale. But if a deal comes my way where they're, they want too much for the property that I'm willing to pay, I can refer that to my realtor and they can sell the property and that's how they get paid. So um, going back to what I was saying is like, figuring out little ways where you can incentivize your power team to work with you is pretty much how you're going to make them stick around, especially in the beginning. Once you're doing volume they're you know, when you're doing volume, they're going to want to stick around. Whereas at the beginning, it's kind of tougher to, I've, I've gone through so many realtors when I was first starting, didn't really know what I was doing. Once I started working with, um, with that person in my area, that's when kind of the doors open where people are wanting to come to me and borrowing that credibility. I still didn't do a deal at the time, but I was still, oh yeah, we've done X, Y, Z. Um, I've done this, 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 and this. And that's why I think the other thing is, is a lot of people like tell, tell people, dive right in, figure it out. I definitely agree with that, but I also think you need a foundation uh, to know what you're doing before, um, before jumping in. So I spent a couple years, I don't think everybody needs a couple of years. I literally think you can, you can do it within a couple months um, of just like diving in and learning real estate. I was too scared to take action at the time. Um, and I, I honestly, I let a lot of people convince me that I was too young to get into real estate, which was kind of, um, I wouldn't say a setback, but it definitely like limited me. Um, I had like, even my, my dad at the time, he, he was like, oh, real estate's a cutthroat business. I don't know if I, I would jump in, like maybe wait till you're a little older type thing. And and now he's like, hey, when I retire, I, I want to work for you. <laughs> um, so it definitely was a, a huge mindset shift. I know I'm kind of going <laughs> going back and forth on everything. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say once you're starting, like definitely borrow credibility from somebody and, uh, and you know, people are going to want to want to work with you. Yeah, that is so good. I love that you went into all those little areas and specifically with, with the naysayers that sometimes those naysayers are the people that love you the most and they're scared because they don't understand and they don't want you to get hurt. And it comes from a good place, but that doesn't mean that you Absolutely. should stop what you want to do just because someone else is scared. And right. I had a similar experience in my personal life when I wanted to do something and my parents were telling me no and then I did it anyway and then they were bragging to people afterwards. And I'm like, didn't you just, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it is, it, it happens. And it happens pretty much to every single person that is doing something that no one in their family has done before. So I love the mm -hmm. fact that you mitigated your risk. You still did what you needed to do. And then you have proved your concept, whether you have made uh, learning, have had learning experiences, that's what we're going to call it, or not. Um, you still prove your concept. And now people believe. But at first, when you haven't done it and it hasn't worked yet, you haven't proven anything. So you, you have no experience and people are almost right to think, who are you to do it? But who are you not to do it? So I love the right. fact that you went into that. It was so, so good. Um, anything that you're working on right now that you would like people to help you with or anything that you're promoting that you want people to be a part of? Um, no, nothing too specific that comes to mind. I, I definitely, um, you know, I've been posting a blog on uh, LinkedIn. So anybody that wants to connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram, Facebook, whatever, uh, it's just at Ryan Cavison. Um, that's pretty much where 
Um, I post most of my stuff is, is through social media. I have a TikTok account that I'm not crazy active on, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, any of the social platforms, I'm definitely uh, one message away. Don't, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm definitely, uh, I don't bite. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> so good. I was just finding you. I found you. Here you are. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Yep. Super, super findable. Um, great. There you go. That's the invite. We uh, make sure that we're going to put that your um, LinkedIn profile also on the show notes so people can uh, connect with you and, and, and read that blog because I found that a lot of people when they are excited about real estate like we are, we cannot get enough, right? Like I'm listening, I'm reading books, I'm going to events if I can because the closer you are to people that are doing what you want to do, I think the easier the, the fear kind of goes to the back and you're able to actually do something instead of just continue to learn. So I love that you that you touched on that as well. So let me ask you something that I ask every single guest of the show. If you were to start over today, what would you do differently from what you have done so far? Um, hmm, that's a great question. I would probably say start um, start building a foundation. Um, learn as much as you can. Connect with more people. That's one thing that I kind of waited a little too long to do um, is get into Facebook groups and literally just message as many people as you possibly can, um, connect with them. So what I've, what I've been doing as of late is I created a, a Calendly link that is connected to my calendar and it pretty much shows what times you're available. You can kind of pick and choose when you're available and you have a templated message. You say, Hey, how are you? I saw you in X Facebook group. I'd love to, uh, love to connect with you. I know we haven't had a chance to connect. Um, here's my Calendly link if, if you're up for a phone call. And 99% of the people are like, yeah, let's, let's do it, absolutely. And you're not really trying to get something out of them. Like that's a bad way to start a relationship is like, oh, what, you know, what can you give me? What can you give me? I would definitely provide value, um, as much value as you possibly can. Let it ask them like, Hey, what projects do you have on the go? Do you need help with anything? Like I'm willing to learn the business, willing to work. Um, I just want to learn type thing, especially when you're first starting out, um, ask them kind of who, a question that I've even, even asked now is like, who's one person you suggest I reach out to and connect with? Cause that's another way where you can kind of expand your, your network. Um, and then another thing I've been doing is, is getting their emails and writing notes on the phone call that we had. So I have a, um, it's an app called Airtable, and I literally just write, um, you know, their name, kind of where they're from, when we, when we connected last and their email and some notes on the, on the phone call. And, uh, and then now if I have a deal come up or whatever, and somebody's looking to partner, I send that to my, my email list or I call them personally. I save their phone number, say, Hey, I have this deal. If you're, you're interested type thing. So that's one thing I would say is, is definitely build more relationships at the start. And like, especially if you're like first starting out, everybody, believe it or not, everybody is like willing to help. There's some people that are like, Oh no, screw you pay me for my time type thing. But like almost every genuine person is like, I'm willing to help, like, you know, what do you need type thing? Um, and then, yeah, like I said, provide value to other people and like, it'll come back to you. So like, like I said, I, I was like, I'm willing to work for free and uh, I got the experience and knowledge uh, to, to where I can, can do it, um, do it now. So um, yeah, I'd say I would definitely do that. Um, and yeah, document your journey. That's another thing that I've learned from like other people is like, no matter how early you're starting, always document what you're doing, whether you're just walking through a property, whether you're connecting with somebody, always post on social media. At, at start, I was kind of, I'm an, a very introverted person. I don't really like to be flashy and, oh, look at me. I'm not really center of attention. I like to kind of be person in the corner whose <laughs> attention's off of. So at the start, when I was posting on social media, I kind of felt arrogant and oh look at me like look what I'm doing but like once you kind of get comfortable posting um you'll be super surprised at the people that are watching so people you went to high school with people that you worked with people who 
and everybody's always interested. And that's honestly how I've gotten some of my best deals or best partnerships is like, people are like, Hey, I saw you, you walk in this property or I saw you doing this. Like I, I have a buddy who's looking to sell like, have, you know, and I pay for referrals. I always post that as well. And people are like, Hey, my buddy's looking to sell like, you know, uh, you know, are you, are you willing to pay me? Hey, absolutely. As long as I can make a deal happen. Sure. Um, so yeah, definitely document your journey is, is one of the things I didn't really do when I was like first, first learning, but now I've, I've started to do it. Um, but yeah. Those are so good. I wrote all those down. We'll make sure to put them in the, in the show summary, but those are so good. And that's something that I don't know how I knew, but I knew I wanted to document my own journey. So I actually, I'm a writer. So I have been writing and that's why I started the podcast because I didn't want to forget because I have built all the businesses and then everything become, becomes a blurb. Even though you remember, it's not the same as being able to watch videos or read posts or read what you wrote, like you're doing with a blog. Um, it's nice to go, look back and be able to be like, wow, that's where I was. That was my mindset then. So I love, love, love that specifically. The other seven things that you said, we'll recap them and put them in the show notes because I think those were very detailed and nobody's ever actually given me a list of what I would do differently. So thank you for that. I so appreciate that. Where do you hang out the most on social media? Where can people find you? Like, I know you mentioned LinkedIn and social media, but where is, what, what's the prime one, your favorite? I definitely say Instagram for sure. Okay. So it's at Ryan Cavison, is it? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, we'll make sure to post that. We also tag you on all the, all the posts and stuff for the, for the episode. This has been so informational. I am so impressed with the fact that um, you could easily be my son and you're doing all these things. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, a real estate company um, that is doing so well and you have tried so many different strategies. I am literally so proud of you uh, and excited for you and the people that you are inspiring because there were so many le learning lessons that you went through that I think people will find really helpful. And the fact that you continue to learn and now are giving back, it, it's so amazing. I always enjoy your posts on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. So I would um, definitely suggest uh, that people connect with you because your content is so, it's always positive, but it's also very helpful. So even though it's in Canada, I think there are still so many things that people can learn from you here in the States. So thank you so much for being on the show. I cannot wait for people to listen and to watch. And hopefully you can come back soon. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate the time and I, I thank you for, for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, guys, there you have it. Another amazing interview. I never know what I'm going to learn from people. I don't look them up ever because I want to be surprised. I want to ask genuine questions that come from the conversation. So if you are starting and if you are as young as Ryan, um, don't be discouraged by your age. Uh, definitely take notes. This is an episode that I say this every time, but I do do it. I listen again and then I take notes again. Look, I have two pages worth of notes because it was that good. So make sure that you subscribe to this show so you don't miss any of the new episodes. I can believe that um, the summer is almost over, but we had a new um, interview every single week. I'm so excited about that. Uh, please know that I love you, that I'm rooting for you, and I'm going to see you. Bye.